Thank you for listening to this message from Waynesboro Free Methodist Church. Our mission is to multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. We hope this message helps you along your journey. So if you could uh, get your Bibles open, um, we're going to be in another Advent passage, uh, Revelation <laughs> 21 and 22. You think I'm kidding? I'm not. Revelation 21 and 22. I want you to go ahead and get your Bibles there. You see, I just can't let Christmas go so quickly. We're going to be in another Advent-related message today. Um, I want to welcome all of our guests who are here with us for the first time. Just an incredible privilege to have you joining us this new year. Um, I am uh, glad to be back with you guys. I, for most of you didn't even know I left. Uh, my wife and I went on a vacation this whole week down to North Carolina. We did like a big U and um, while we were there, we celebrated Christmas with my family, and then we celebrated Christmas with her family. Um, I observed a birthday, and then um, to do that, to celebrate, we, I ended up getting to drive on the Charlotte Motor Speedway um, in a van. <laughs> so don't think it's like so fancy. It was the Christmas light show, and it's just really cool. Like you can drive through the track, and, and like I was trying to go up on the bank, but Caitlin wouldn't let me. Um, but then, uh, it's ironic that Joseph talks about like thinking you can do so much more than you actually can, because another thing we did was we went to a trampoline park and, uh, apparently I ain't as good as I once was. <laughs> um, I've, I ended up, uh, running full speed on a trampoline and just slamming right into a wall on accident. I was supposed to jump over the wall and just went straight into it. So I'm pretty sure I have a broken toe, um, and I've got, like, I've got marks on my back from, like, trampoline impress. It's great. Everything hurts. <laughs> Joseph, you were exactly right. <laughs> everything in me hurts. This hurts. My everything. Um, but what a way to celebrate a, a birthday when you turn Jesus old, right? 33. Um, so anyways, just glad to be back with you guys in this new year. It was fun because last year we could be like, last week we were like, hey, see you next year. And it's this year. Anyways, that's the worst joke ever. But uh, we are going to keep going in this series called God With Us because we're, we're not done with it yet. We're not done with the story. We're not done with the theme. You see, when we celebrate Advent or when we celebrate Christmas, we often celebrate or we're talking about the coming of the promised one whose name would be Emmanuel, right? Which means God with us. That's up on the screen, right? So, so we believe that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. He is the promised one, the anointed one. He is Emmanuel. He is God with us. And so throughout this whole series, this whole December month that we've been in, we've been talking about how God intentionally, purposefully comes among us to dwell among us as human beings. He did it in the garden, right? We sinned and we lost that. He did it in the tabernacle, in the temple, he did it in the person, in the, in the work of Jesus Christ, who is the second person of the triune Godhead. And then now, right now for us, he is dwelling among us in the person of the Holy Spirit, filling God's people, the third person of the Trinity he is. And so we got that far, but we didn't talk about what's to come. What comes after this? What comes at the end of the day? Or the end of the age, Scripture would say. 
So uh, you might be able to relate to this in some way. Um, For most of my life, I understood the gospel to be this. I believe in Jesus, I die, and I go up in the clouds to heaven for the rest of eternity. And that's, that's it. Right? That's all. Right? And some of you are like, well, yeah, that's the story, isn't it? Well, the, the reality is, is that's not how the story ends. That's just a part. It's not the final chapter. That's not the narrative of the history that God's written before the ages of the world. You see, while we at Christmas celebrate the first advent, right? The first coming of Christ Jesus. We are also a people who are anticipating the second advent, the second coming of Christ Jesus. So if Christ first came as a lamb, he will come as a lion. If he first came as a sacrifice, he will come again as a king. We are anticipating this. We are an Advent people. We never leave the season of Advent because we're always anticipating the coming of Christ. In fact, one of the major themes we ought to focus our attention on and our affections around at Christmas time is that second coming as well, not just the first. You want to know why? C.S. Lewis might explain it. This way, if you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next. You see, if we skip through the first Advent season, having given no thought to the second Advent, then I think we've missed Christmas entirely. In fact, while we're in our Christmas celebrations, there's a time where we actually sing about the second coming of Christ, but we sing it as a first coming of Christ song. And I don't know if you might know that. Who can guess the song that we sing at Christmas time that's actually not about the first coming, but about the second coming of Christ? Who can say it? Just say it. Joy to the world. Joy to the world. It was written by Isaac Watts. He wrote it as a poem in response to his readings and meditations in Psalm 98, and he published it in a book of poems in the 1700s. It wasn't until the 1800s when it was written to music, and it was published at Christmas time, which is why we often sing it at Christmas. It quickly became one of the most popular hymns throughout Christendom, but just look at the lyrics real quick. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room, and heaven and nature sing. Joy to the earth, the Savior reigns. Let men their songs employ. In other words, put your songs to work, men, while the fields and the floods, the rocks and the hills and the plains repeat that sounding joy. No more let sins or sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. He rules the world with truth and grace and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of his love. You see, that song is all about the fulfillment of what Christ came to do in his first coming. 
You see, Christmas time is not only a time to look back on the grace that was accomplished in the past. Christmas time is also a time to look forward to the grace that will be accomplished in our future. You see, when we sing these words, we proclaim the ultimate joy that's going to be revealed in the second coming of Christ Jesus. Now, uh, for, for some of you, if this is your first time here, this is probably the first time you've ever heard me talk about the second coming, and you're kind of scooting up on the edge of your seat trying to figure out, well, what kind of eschatology do they believe in at this church, right? You might be uh, coming to your own conclusions based on your own interpretations of Scripture. Um, we just had a new members class, and we told them, well, where does this fall in uh, scripturally or, or in the importance of doctrine? So, so one of the things we told you, like told them, and I'll tell you, you, to be in this church, you don't have to be a pre-trib, pre-mill rapture person. You just don't have to be. If you are and you think we need to be, we're glad you're here. <laughs> if, 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 if you're not a post-millennialist, it's okay. If you're, if you're not an amillennialist, it's totally fine. Some of you are like, what, what are you even saying, Scott? Those are words that aren't even in my vocabulary. You're right, because they're Christianese. Anyways, I would just tell you, let's just go ahead and agree that we will be pan-millennialists, which means that everything's just going to pan out in the end anyways. <laughs> so we'll be that. But the basic summarizing conviction that I think we can all agree on is this, is that Christ is coming again, and he's coming forever. He'll come to rule forever. And when he does, when that day comes, however you get to it, God with us, his manifest presence will be like nothing that we've ever experienced before. Now, however you get there, again, the end of the story goes like this. If you're already in Revelation 21, go ahead and open it up. I've got to get there. Revelation 21. Just, Just take a look at this. There's all sorts of things that I'm going to have to intentionally skip over because we're focusing on the one theme of God with us, Emmanuel, right? Verse 1 in chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. Then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, look. I am making everything new. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Guys, did you see that? A new heaven and a new earth. In other words, a whole new creation. Remade, redeemed, repurposed, restored. You see this new creation and we also see this new city, right? This beautiful city that... that, that The author says it's like a bride adorned for her husband. And it's coming down out of the sky from heaven. And did you notice 
that there's no more death, no more grief, no more pain, no more crying in that city. He said that those are former things. All of this is amazing, but did you know what caught my ear and my eye? Verse 3, then I heard a loud voice from the throne, look, God's dwelling is with humanity, and he will live with them. They will be his peoples, and God himself will be with them and will be their God. God's dwelling, that word dwell, is the same root word that's used in John 1.14 when, when it was said of Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Tabernacle, set up tent among us. It's the same thing here. God's dwelling, his tabernacle, his tent. He's moving into the neighborhood. At the end of the age, the presence of God and all of its beautiful effects touching down on an earth and a humanity that's no longer plagued with sin and death. You see, isn't that the way it was supposed to be in the first place? Verse 3 was how it was designed in Genesis 1. And two, you see, our purpose, the reason for our very existence is to be with God as he dwells with us. To enjoy God forever. And you see, all of history, the whole story of the gospel is God working back towards a creation where he dwells with his people again. Again, God in the tabernacle in the wilderness. Jesus, the Son of God, the Word of God, dwelling among humanity as one of us. And then the Spirit filling us, dwelling in us as believers, helping and equipping and empowering us. And in this new creation, in this new city, our one God in the three persons, in the triune Godhead, will dwell with us in the fullness of His existence for all eternity. That's not the only time this gets mentioned. I'm not going to read it, but then we go to this next part where in verses 9 through pretty much the rest of the chapter, we're talking about this new city, this new Jerusalem. And I just want to give you a quick picture of it. We're not going to read through it, but the quick picture is that that it talks about its size, what it's made of, its foundations, right? And, and, And one of the things that amazes me is that this city, it's said that it's 12,000 stadia long, 12,000 stadia deep and 12,000 stadia high, which, which is 1,400 miles. 1,400 miles, 1,400 miles, 1,400 miles. It's like a big cube. So if, if this city was placed in the middle of the United States, it would stretch from Canada to Mexico and from the Appalachian Mountains to the California border. How many of you guys know how high up outer space is technically starts? 800, 800 miles. And this city is 1,400 miles tall. This city goes into space. It's massive. And it's made of all different kinds of stone foundations. It's beautiful. The streets are made of pure gold. It's clear as crystal. 
And look at another key component about this city. Look at verse 22. I did not see a temple in it. Oh boy, wait. I did not see a temple in it because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it and its lamp is the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Do you hear that? What, what, what isn't there? there? There's no constructed temple. There's no, there's no building anymore. But it's not that there's no temple. No, there's a new temple. And the new temple is God himself and the Lamb. You don't got to go to a building. You just go to him. You just walk right up to him. We can go right up to God and get access to him directly. We can see the face of Jesus. Like I, I, I know that this is probably a bit embellished. But I, I can't help but just picture like walking out the front door of the 50-story mansion that Jesus built for me, right? And built for you. But again, if our treasure's in that house, then we've missed the whole point of heaven. But anyways, walking out of the house that he's built for us and opening up the white picket gate and you just, you see Jesus walking down the road. And you just say to him, beautiful day, isn't it? And he's like, well, it's always beautiful here. Every day is. Just, just, to, just to have that. To be that kind of close. And you notice verse 23, it says that we don't need the sun anymore. We don't need the moon to shine any light. Because God's glory is so radiant, the whole city is filled with it. Like you don't even have to turn on light switches anymore. You don't have to have your Wi-Fi do it for you either. Every square inch of this city illuminated and filled with the light of God's glory. And we're not done yet. If you're not at chapter 22, get there real quick. Chapter 22, verse 1. Then he showed me the river of the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the city's main street. The tree of life was on each side of the river, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations, and there will no longer be any curse. Praise God. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Night will be no more. People will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, because the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Did you see verse 3? There's no longer any curse. 
No longer any curse on the ground, no longer any curse on the created order of things. Remember we sang about that in the joy to the world. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Where sin abounds, his grace abounds all the more. You see, the curse of the fall is undone. And then look at the rest of verse 3. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city. Meaning he's not just simply ruling from a position of above. He's ruling from a position among. Among his people. And look at verse 4. Of the Lamb, they will see his face. They will see Jesus' face. How many of you, when you're away from your spouse for a significant amount of time and you come back, all you want to see is their left pinky? (laughs) No, what do you want to see? Their face. Everything about them is in their face. We get to see Jesus. Our faith turns to sight. And look at what else, verse 4. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Guys, I uh, take your Bible and turn to the very first page. How many of you have your name written there? Just hold it up real quick. If you have your name written in it, just hold it up. What does that mean? That Bible, what does it mean? It's yours. It belongs to you. Jesus' name, written on our foreheads, means you belong to him. You're his. You're his possession. Not only that, not only that, uh, for those who don't know, I, uh, I'm an identical twin, and all of my uncles and aunts had a fit trying to tell us apart. So one of my uncles decided to write my name on my forehead and my brother's name on his, which means that was my identity. It meant that he knew who I was. And so we have the name of Christ in this sense of belonging, we're his, and we have the name of Christ because he is who we are now. His righteousness is ours. His relationship with his father is ours. Everything that he's going to inherit at the end of the age is ours with him. His name will be on our foreheads because we will belong to him for the rest of eternity and he is our identity. This is who we are, the redeemed people of Christ. So did you notice, did you notice how the story didn't end the way that I described it earlier? It didn't end with us just kind of riding up on a cloud, joining some, uh, some cupids and whatever and playing harps up in the sky somewhere for the rest of eternity. No, the story ends 
with, with us meeting Christ in the air, him coming down, conquering the world, remaking everything, his city descending, God coming down out of heaven to dwell among us here on a new earth for the rest of eternity. Because that's how the story of history is going to end. It ends with God, with us for all eternity in a new creation on a new earth. Guys, this is the, 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 the kind of the subtle or the main point of the day is that the gospel ends with the fullness of the Trinity enjoyed personally for all eternity in the new city. You see, we get to enjoy the Father as he sits on his throne and he dwells among us. We get to enjoy the Son and his friendship forever accessible to us. We get to enjoy God's Spirit and his presence perfectly and perpetually filling us. As 1 Corinthians describes, as Paul described it, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, but then face to face. Now I know in part... But then I will know fully as I am fully known. You will know God as fully as he knows you now. Which is impossible to fathom because he is infinite. All in this new creation with no sin, with no curse, with no death, with no enemy, with no temptation, with no pain, no grief. Do you notice how close God is to us, that he's the one who wipes away the tears from our eyes? The final dwelling, God with us. Guys, isn't, isn't that heaven? Isn't that what makes heaven so amazing? What makes what's coming at the end of the age to be so desired by Christ's people? Isn't that what makes heaven heaven? Not to many of us. To many of us, heaven is just simply an amplified experience of what we most love here. Heaven, for many of us, is what we most enjoy to do in this creation on steroids in the next. But the main joy of heaven, let me actually say this real quick. There are an infinite amount of joys awaiting for us in that place, in his presence. Like, don't get me wrong, like I know that many of us here are waiting for the day when we're there because we know exactly who we're going to see. We're going to see those who, who were in the faith in this life and were welcomed in through Christ into the next. And don't get me wrong, like I cherish that promise. Like, like heaven really is such an incredible gift that we're going to be able to get to see so many loved ones who who were found in Christ and followed him all their days and were welcomed into his presence at their death. 
Guys, I can't wait to see my grandpa. I was watching home videos and I just saw him spending so much time with us, taking us fishing, telling us stories from the Bible at bedtime. I know he's going to be there. I've got, I've got three kids who are already there. Three kids that I've never met before that we lost. I believe they're there because of God's mercy. And I can't wait to see who they are. But that is not the chief gift awaiting us in heaven. It's God himself above all. It's him. One of, uh, one of the books that I have skimmed through once before and want to read again is God is the Gospel by John Piper. And one of the things that he says, he says this, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this, if you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? Could you be satisfied with heaven? If Jesus just wasn't there. So the question above all is really, what does heaven mean to you? When you think about that day, when you think about what's coming at the end of the age, what does heaven mean for you? Piper goes on to say, people who would be happy in heaven if Christ were not there will not be there. The gospel is not a way to get people to heaven. The gospel is a way to get people to God. It's a way of overcoming every obstacle to everlasting joy in God. If we don't want God above all things, we have not been converted by the gospel. Now, I realize that for many of for many of you, you're reading this and you're thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute. I love Jesus. And then I've just, I mean, I mean, when I think about heaven, I've thought like, man, this is going to be amazing and that's going to be amazing. But I haven't really, I haven't really centralized my thoughts around heaven, around Christ, around being with him. So are you saying that I'm not been converted by the gospel? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that, that there's, there's a reordering of our affections in the process of sanctification. And today you're finding out that heaven is all about Christ. And the best thing about that day is getting to see him. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. It is the chief blessing of heaven, the cream of heaven, the heaven of heaven, that the saints shall there see Jesus. One of the things Spurgeon does is he breaks out into random poems every now and then. And he wrote this. And when at last we see the face of Jesus, before whose image others, other loves all flee, and when they crown him Lord of all, I'll be there. Now this is just what heaven means to me. 
Guys, one day we are going to have this in full. We are going to have Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling among us, dwelling in us for those of us who are in Christ. And so that is why we spend so much time today and we as a Christian people, as Christ people, continue to have this groaning in us, this unsettledness with the world around us because at the end of this book in Revelation, you can see in verse 20, this is cultivating as in verse 20, he who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming soon. And how do we respond? Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. That is the longing that God is cultivating in every one of our hearts as we look at Christ and he becomes our chief treasure above all else. And so we cry, yes, amen, come Lord Jesus. Yes, because of everything that when he comes, he brings with him, right? All of that, amen, praise God but because he's coming. I can't wait. You know, how you view God now will determine whether or not this gets anything stirred up in you. If you view God as some sort of sheriff, all he wants to do is just track you down and hold you to the law, then he's not going to be somebody that, that you're going to have much affection for, right? How many of you have a, a, an affectionate relationship with our police force here? Unless you're married to one, praise God for you. If you view him as a cheerleader, right, if all he's doing is just applauding you along your way, you're, you're doing so good, right? If he doesn't say anything bad about you, everything's good, you get to heaven, then all of heaven is about you. And guess what? You're going to run out. For the rest of eternity, if heaven were just all about you, you would get bored with yourself because you are finite. We'll enjoy you for a minute. If you view God as a butler, if all he is is somebody who's just designed to give you what you want when you want it, then great. You can go to heaven and God can serve you. Oh, you know nothing of God then. And nothing of yourself. How you view God now will determine the level of affection you will have for that day when he comes. If he is father, if the son is friend, if the spirit is power, if he's everything, then you will perpetually cry out in your prayer life, come, Lord Jesus. In fact, that's one of the things that we are supposed to cultivate within each of us as we take communion together. Every time we do the Lord's Supper together, we eat and we drink. And then, what do I say? Do this in remembrance of me, right? For as you eat this bread and you drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until when? 
until he returns. Until he returns. Communion wasn't just simply to be about the cross. It's supposed to be about what's coming. And so we're going to take communion together today. The Lord's Supper in remembrance of Christ. Not just looking back to all that he accomplished for us in his death and in his resurrection, but also looking ahead when the lamb comes as a lion to rule and to reign forever. For those of you who don't know, the Lord's Supper was simply a a, a meal that he observed with his disciples the night before he was betrayed. And he said that this is to do, you're to do this in remembrance, perpetual remembrance as the church of his death the, 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 the bread is to be his body, the drink is to be his blood, not literally, physically, but symbolically. And so as we partake, we are partaking of our Christ. One of the things that is very clear, though, in Scripture about this meal is that it is strictly reserved for those who actually believe in Jesus, who treasure him, who have received his forgiveness by faith, and are following him. If you're here today and you've never placed your confidence, all of your trust, if you've never said to God, my confidence is Christ alone, then this meal isn't for you. Because if you take it, you're, you're aligning yourself with his life, death, and resurrection. But my goodness, did you not just hear everything that's coming? Amen. So come, lay your life down at the foot of the cross you will find it. We hope this message helps you multiply faithful followers of Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit waynesboroughfm.com.